tonight. Mandalorians. Are they a race? A creed? A culture? Yes-ish. More after the weather. And Republic-sanctioned assassination squads? They're more likely than you think. Those stories and the Cantobite Pazak tournament results at 11. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hoth Topics, a podcast about Star Wars. I am a Mandalorian, maybe, named Ian. Joining me is another Mandalorian, possibly, named John. Yo. And joining us again is a third Mandalorian, Mike. Hey! And we are uh, one single Mandalorian covert, and we are here to talk about the last three episodes of the first season of The Mandalorian. The first episode that we watched was called The Prisoner. Thank you, Mike. Uh, The Mando needs a job. So he gets in touch with this sketchy friend of his. And it's a kind of no-questions-asked type of uh, arrangement where an associate of theirs is locked up in a prison ship and they have to go rescue him. Mandalorian's there because he has the Razor Crest, his ship, and they needed a ship. Uh, he's joined by a colorful cast of scum and villainy and they set off to free this prisoner uh he's the mandalorian's led to believe that the prisoner is being held by rival uh cartel members this turns out to be false as they find out he's actually in a republic prison ship manned by droids an extraction event ensues where they fight off a couple droids meet a new republic ship guy who isn't supposed to be there ship guy nice Uh, yeah Ship captain? I don't really know what his job was. Ship guy. Yeah, so I'm just going to call him ship guy. Well, they need a human to look over, make sure all those droids aren't, like, you know, goofing off. Yeah, sure. Makes sense to me. Can't trust synthetics. Um, there is uh, some moral uh, argument as to whether or not he should be killed or not. The argument is settled when a knife plunges into his chest. The Mandalorian then gets tricked. You see, the guy they rescued is not, not his friend. Uh, they push the Mandalorian into that guy's cell. Mandalorian handily escapes, then basically becomes the Predator (laughs) and goes through the ship, annihilating the group one by one until he gets shipped back. He delivers the the captured guy back to his his, uh, buddy, who is not very good, not a good man, and places a New Republic tracker that was triggered after they killed ship guy. Uh, on him, which three very lazy X-Wing pilots show up and just casually start blowing up the space station that they're on. Tyranny of the New Republic. <laughs> so, there's a, there's a good amount of fun to be had in this episode. It is another one of those sort of filler episodes. And I say that in with all the, the kindest connotations that you can associate with the word. It was a lot of fun. We had some uh, very interesting cast of characters Bill Burr was Mayfeld, I think yep. his name was. He was just Bill Burr with a with a pistol harness. Who were the other? What was the name of the the Twi'lek female? Xeon, um, something like that. Yeah, Zeon. something like that. Yeah, yeah. A knife wielding, stabby rogue type. Again, this was this is a team of archetypes. We had a, a really really strong Devronian, the ones that look like devils, uh, who was completely immune to fire because he's demon, and his name was. Berg. Berg, of, of course it was. Yeah. Berg, you know. Nice strong name for a strong man. It was played by Clancy Brown. Oh, <laughs> it was best. just another strong man. Yep. 
And then we had uh, Richard Iwadi playing uh, Zero. Zero, the the droid, who had a couple great quippy one-liners. What did you guys think of, of this episode and, and its context? John first? John first. John like first! All right, John. Uh, me. John John liked this one. Um, this one, like you said, Ian, was kind of another uh, filler episode sort of thing. Kind of a adventure side hustle that doesn't really impact the main story and that's kind of something i would have liked to see more of if the show was like a 20 episodes a season sort of thing right this absolutely felt like one of those star trek side episodes let's highlight one of the crew members that no one ever talks about mostly barkley we love you barkley do we? Do we love Barkley? We love Barkley. Okay. We all love Barkley. Apparently okay. we love Reginald Barkley. Barkley. Sure. But at, at the same time, it's kind of hard to, uh, with the length that the series is as a whole so far, eight episodes or whatever, to dedicate nearly half of those episodes to filler episodes with just a little bit of character growth in it. This one kind of shows us that at some point in the past, the Mandalorian <laughs> had, had a shady past of some sort and then became... A smuggler with the heart of gold. A Star Wars story. Bounty hunter with the heart of yeah, gold. Yeah. Not smuggler. Yeah, different. We don't we don't know what he did. Uh, well, we know he bounty hunters now. Because it didn't seem like he bounty was hunters, bounty hunting bounty then. Hunting, bounty it hunts. sounded like he was crime buddying, especially specifically with, with, target practicing. Yeah, which doesn't sound like something a good people do. Mm, that's fair. Uh, but he did want to murder droids. Droid murder. So it's it's kind of a cool glimpse into what his his background is. And kind of leaves the door open for more misadventures involving that particular crew of rabble. Seeing as how everyone but the big boss and the brother were alive at the end of it. Because the Mando... Mando doesn't like killing people. Except for when he does. He lets x do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, as like a quick overall. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll sign of it. Yeah. Mike? I appreciated it a little bit more than at least the past filler episode that we got mm. specifically because of the sets and like the look of it i thought that once you got to the point where basically quote unquote the mandalorian took over the ship it almost felt like an alien like almost a suspense horror sort of scene within right. the ship and i i thought that was really cool and a lot more fun than we'd been having at least in the last episode and a half uh, because that was really unique compared to what we had seen previously. And then also, like by the end, you, you think that the situation that the Mandalorian put himself in in this episode didn't make sense at the beginning. These are shady people that there's really no reason to think they wouldn't double-cross you at any moment. But to see him actually like outsmart other people, not just like outperform in battle, but like outsmart other people... Um, that were planning on double-crossing him already. I thought that was pretty cool to develop his character in particular in this episode. So for those reasons, I really appreciated it. And then just, like, the characters that they introduced, they were a lot more fun than the ones we had seen previously. So, like like you said, Bill Burr played himself. But, like, all four of, like, the new characters that we got, like, they basically played versions of themselves. Like, right. You know, Clancy Brown is the big strong man, and Richard Iowati is the clever nerd person. Um, so they all basically played what you expected them to, but because of that, they all put together really good performances. Right. And I thought, as a whole, this was a really good character just development for the Mandalorian, as well as give him an opportunity to shine amongst other people that meant to do him harm, and 
develop them. Like a lot of the bad guys that we've seen previously, um, we shoot off really quickly. And I thought this was one where it was kind of like isolated. They were all within the ship. They were all close quarters the entire time. So you got to see how they played off one another um, for probably like, you know, 20, 30 minutes, something like that. And so the ability for the Mandalorian to go from something that was completely like, not say out of his wheelhouse, but he wasn't in full control of the situation to something where he took over a ship in order to make sure that he had the upper hand in something. And so I thought because of that, it was a really like clever way to quote unquote, get through a filler episode. Yeah, I agree. And to your point, John, about it kind of being iffy that we have spent uh, three episodes of an eight episode series doing filler. I agreed with that. It does kind of change the dynamic a bit now that we know we're getting more seasons of this show because now we have more time to develop characters going forward and we have more time to focus on sort of those side endeavors because we know we're getting more episodes. And when, when we didn't know that was happening... Uh, I agree with you. It kind of felt off to be doing that. But we still achieved uh, some very good character development for our title character in The Mandalorian. Especially with him, you know, trying not to murderize the New Republic ship guy and sparing uh, the lives of the the three bounty hunters who were with him on that ship. But also not sparing others. He takes calculated risks with who he spares and who he doesn't. So he's not a strict good guy, not a strict bad guy. He's a very neutral sort of person, which is kind of what we wanted to see in in The Mandalorian as a whole. We wanted to get away from that dichotomy of good versus evil that is integral to the Skywalker saga's uh, interpretation of the galaxy and really get to the the neutral ground. So that was really fun to see. And yeah, to your point, Mike, I just I, I really liked the character ensemble that we had here. You know, Bill Burr and uh, Natalia Tenna, I think her name is, yep. and Clancy Brown, Richard Iowati. These were all really, really good um, characters. And then also um, Mark Boone Jr. Mark Boone Jr. He's he's one of those guys that I see everywhere and I just don't remember his name. Mm-hmm. But he was, he was a great actor uh, for that particular thing, too. And speaking of actors, the, the, the ship guy was played by, by Anakin's voice actor. From the Clone Wars, Matt La- Lanter. Matt Lanter is that Lanter. right? Yeah. yeah. So, I believe that's his name. We also got uh, some cameos at the end with the X-wing pilots with Dave Filoni, who of course is is the, the show's co-creator and and writer on a lot of stuff, executive producer as Trapper Wolf, the pilot. And then we had uh, uh, Rick Famuyiwa. I'm gonna go ahead and assume that that I pronounced that correctly. Sure. And he directed this episode. Yeah, and co-wrote it. And co-wrote it. And Deborah Chow was the other pilot, and she did the previous episode. And she's also heading up the Obi-Wan series, theoretically, last we heard. So it's cool to see other creators kind of getting cameo roles. It's great for for this series that you get to see um, some cool cameo roles, because it just, it fits that. But... All around, really fun episode. Didn't really further the plot, furthered some story. Um, a lot of fun. Good Star Wars fun. Very, very, again, with those archetypes, you know, it's the same reason I love this episode. It's the same reason I love the the one uh, two, two prior was, you know, I, I 
it it's tropey as heck, but I love it because I enjoy those tropes. Mm-hmm. There's tropes are great if they're done well. Nothing wrong with it if you do them right. Mm-hmm. So, and this was definitely your classic heist trope episode. Before you move on to the the last two episodes, which I want to bring up one thing that I noticed that nobody brought up at all because it had no impact on the story, hmm. which was what Baby Yoda was doing. Oh um, yeah, which which nothing with, with well, that's not true. Really good at with the combination of what Mike was saying earlier and the fact that Baby Yoda wasn't consequential to the story. Really, it, it just made me think that this was a good episode of character development for the Mandalorian, showing that he is the quintessential Star Wars scoundrel with a heart of gold. While we were talking, I realized it's the same story that we've already seen the entire time, just retold in a different way. Like that. If they had moved this episode to the beginning of the series, and they wouldn't have to worry about what Baby Yoda was doing on the ship, and we'd still have the same story of finding out, like, oh, the Mandalorian is not the same as he was. If they were able to do more episodes, it's a lot more feasible that they could have slapped this in somewhere, but they needed to get that story with Baby Yoda going, since mm-hmm. that's going to be the overarching uh, thing. But I, I just thought that was interesting. Like, we didn't talk about the child at all. Right. And we're about to skip past it. We didn't talk about how Richard Iowati's character, because I won't say his name, because Zero? Richard Iowati is so much more fun to pronounce. Whole, his whole adventure just on the Razor Crest. Yeah. And searching for Baby Yoda uh, and then just dying. Yep. And that was kind of his story arc. Poor Richard. Yeah. It's the part he was born to play. A robot. He he did he did have some some fun lines. Like I one of my favorite ones from Zero was right before he starts chasing Baby Yoda around the ship, and the Mandalorian has cut the comms. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's just like you. <laughs> it seems the comms are disabled, which means you can no longer hear me. You're mm-hmm. on your own. Like that was, he just that he was keeps... me on my phone to use the yeah. other day. <laughs> the Bluetooth of my car doesn't work, but I can hear you. <laughs> he just keeps talking, even though. And then the, that's that's another like really side goofy thing. Uh, is is they know the comms have been cut, and yet they kept going back. It, to them. it bugged I, me so much. I don't think the team on the ship knew the comms were out. But they they think, tried it like eight times, and then... Well, sometimes you text somebody like 30 times, and they're just sleeping. That I, I don't think that's what happens <laughs> when you're on an active heist, though. Nah, who knows? Do they you don't sleep see... through active heists, Have John? Have on an active heist? Yeah. You yeah. don't know? Uh, that's In fair. space? Um, and then one other thing space about the episode heist. I want to drop real quick that I thought was interesting is, is Bill Burr's character, whose name will be Bill Burr's character. Hmm. Mayfeld. Um, is yeah. is asking the Mandalorian what he looks like underneath it, and if he's a Gungan, <laughs> and then does the Gungan speech thing, which so, I thought was very interesting that they they kind of went ahead and continued making fun of the Gungans for being simple, which I, th- I thought was an interesting choice, but at the same time, that's still something in Galaxy that they're kind of known for. Right. So even though it is like making fun of it, you know, not making fun of Ahmed Best, but making fun of the species as a whole. Yeah. And the fact that Bill Burr's character, Bill Burr, is a bad person and can be racist. Right. Because he's a bad person. You know, I, I thought that was an interesting thing to include that I'm still kind of torn on. Yeah, you know, I didn't give it any thought until you mentioned it, and now I'm I'm in, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like it's definitely Spaceship. A sort of in universe like it's it's a it's a prejudice that exists in the universe, yeah. but at the same time, you know they're actively choosing to kind of further that narrative. So I, I choose to believe that the Gungans we met in the Phantom Menace were from 
like the backwater redneck part of Duncan society <laughs> and the other side of the planet is like the other ones are like why do these guys why are they the face of our people like, they don't dumb. represent us yeah. and also you know that kind of ties into this whole oh well you know there's a uh, this weird space for gungans you know do do we keep making fun of them do we try to not go that direction yeah i agree with you john that's a really good point that i didn't think of mike any any uh, thoughts on the gungan thing because you're more of a casual fan yeah. like so does it does it really affect your thought process at all or No, I think just for me the Gungan is kind of it's just a funny like way to speak compared to basically everybody else in right. the galaxy and so I don't have any problem them making fun of that. Yeah, so. I think we have a different perspective on it because we saw the fallout of everyone, you know, hating on Ahmed Best's right. character. No, and so. that's that's why I was curious to get your opinion yeah right? i don't i don't hate those characters I, I love the gungans i love the you know i loved episode one and so i'm i just i thought it was just kind of playing into the joke and it's yeah. just it wasn't in poor taste or anything like sure that. interesting really, really good point all right um moving on then uh we're gonna do just these... one more no, I'm just kidding. yo <laughs> yo uh, why did I say that like that? Yo, yo, what is what is wrong with me? Um, before we move on, to this <laughs> episode, the next the next two, <laughs> the next two episodes we're going to kind of talk about is one because it's a it's it's a through story arc. Um, we have the reckoning and redemption are are the names of the episodes. Uh, now the 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 reckoning kind of starts off with the. Mandalorian getting a message from, uh, uh, I, I know, I, uh, I can see Carl Weathers in my brain. Did you say Carl's Weathers? No, I Carl can't Weathers. because I did this last time and then I learned his name. See, I even know his name. Grief Karga. There it is. That's his name. Yeah, we don't want to give you grief about that. Yeah, <laughs> Grief Karga. I just, I can't mm. not see, because like the last three conversations I've had about Grief Karga have been like, Hey, you know Carl Weathers is in the Mandalorian? Mm. Like, yes, I do. Um, so Grief Karga sends the Mandalorian a, a message saying, Hey, listen, uh, so I know we didn't leave on the best terms. I'm still alive. And this Imperial guy has kind of taken over my town. It's, it's some bad bombing. So if you could maybe come and help me deal with this problem, we can call it even. Mandalorian's like I don't I don't trust this whatsoever. So he te- he goes back and gets. I'm doing it again. I'm just seeing the actors Cara the actress's name. Yeah, Cara Dune. Uh, he grabs uh, Cara Dune off of the Planet. the shrimp world, the shrimp beer world, and she's like, I don't know. I you know this could be bad for me. It could be a big problem. And he's like, it's an Imperial. She's like, I'm in. Let's go. Let's go kill some Imperials. And then he goes and finds his Ugnaught friend, Quill. And Quill had repaired uh, IG-11. And so this this ragtag team goes back to Grief Karga's planet. Uh, one of the best emergent scenes, I think, of, of anything lately is just them riding Blurgs off of the ship. And just, like, the, the bounty hunters around Grief Karga just, like, looking at each other like, Are, are you seeing this? So they, they and some Blurgs come off and... Grief Karga gives them the whole plan. They're like, hey, here's the plan. We're going to go in. The Imperial only has six guys with them. It'll be fine. So they're camping for the night out in the lava fields. They're attacked by 
space pterodactyls. Grief Karga gets mortally wounded, and this is where we see the, the first instance of Baby Yoda's previously tried but interrupted healing abilities. So the child walks up and, and heals his wound. This gives Grief a change of heart, because of course he was totally going to backstab the Mandalorian. That doesn't sound like him. Uh, but he, he turns on his own people and agrees to help the Mandalorian fight his way through and uh, kill the client. Uh, there's way more than four stormtroopers. There's an entire town's worth. The The plan then going in is to have Quill take the child back to the ship and Grief and Cara Dune will uh, pretend to capture the Mandalorian, deliver him to the client, and make their way in. The client's like, yay, I'm going to be very Warner Herzog about this entire thing. And uh, gets a message from some guy named Boff Gideon. It's like, hey, did you do you have the package? And he's like, I have the package. And the cantina that they're sitting in proceeds to get exploded by many, many, many a stormtrooper. And we're introduced to Moff Gideon. And that's the first half of the episode. Any comments there before we kind of go on to the the, the last half? Uh, I thought it was interesting that when he went to get Kara and was like, hey, I got this job. She's like, I'm not interested. As soon as he said that the target was Imperial, she was immediately gung-ho for it. There's, I think that there is a personal reason, besides her just being a former rebel, to immediately jump at the opportunity to kill an Imperial warlord, oh, which sure. isn't revealed until the second half of the episode that I, I thought it was, which, which I won't, I won't go into until we, we get to that point. But sure. it's like at the very beginning of the episode, uh, when, when, uh, the Mando first comes across nurse droid IG 11. Yep. Uh, he is still insanely paranoid about the droid and refuses to believe that a droid designed for killing could ever be reprogrammed. Right. Which kind of reflects his story as trained as a warrior to be a killer to deal with thing and now wanting to be something else something better like caring for the child just like ig11 was right still capable of doing the thing he was programmed for basically but choosing well maybe not choosing on ig11's part but going in a different path that might not necessarily be the stereotypical thing that you would think when you see an assassin droid or a mandalorian yeah so well, i thought that was i thought that was cool Quill has one of one of my favorite Quill. quotes from the series on this episode where he says, uh, droids aren't good or evil, they're neutral reflections of their creators. So if you'll trust if you trust me, you'll trust my work. And that's a really interesting way to look about to look at droids. Especially because they're so near sentience in terms of how they, they interact with the world, you know, they're mm. still considered to be these not quite on the same level as uh, organic beings, but they are, they have the ability to think and feel and have emotions like fear and fear. Like I, all I can <laughs> see so is C3, fear. all I can see is C3PO in my head. And all I can think of is that guy's just afraid of life. As a um, robot, he should be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what, one other thing that, um, Mike, unless you had something. I have plenty, so okay. just go ahead. Um, I saw online when this episode aired, and kind of when we were watching it, a lot of grief given to grief, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Give about, grief. About, him, about him saying that there was only four stormtroopers, and then there turned out to be like a whole platoon. Yeah. And the whole time when I was reading these, these comments, or I was talking with you guys after we watched it, is that grief's plan was to murder 
the Mandalorian. He doesn't care how many stormtroopers. Like his plan was, we get him out here, tell him there's four, then shoot him while he's sleeping. Like he didn't actually have a plan to kill, um, uh, uh, homeboy. The client. Yeah, I can't remember his name. It's kind of Warner Herzog. Warner Herzog's character, Warner Herzog. Uh, so I, I just thought that was a fun Discord to watch. I'm like, man, maybe maybe I'm not seeing this the way that everyone's seeing it. Or maybe I, the other way. But either way, I just, it was just an interesting Discord that I was think going it, on. I think it's less about... I, I think it's less about... I think it's more he still withheld that information even when he sided with them. That's why he's getting so much grief. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Because, like, he could have just been like, hey, remember when I told you there were four? There's actually, like, 30 down there. But he, like, didn't want to reveal that much of the hand, you know, because he's going to play his cards close to the chest. I think maybe he thought that the the child would do the magic hand thing again. Oh, that's later. Yeah, I know. Spoilers. No, it's a a teaser. If you're listening to this, you've probably already watched (laughs) the stuff. Yeah, I haven't been putting the spoiler alert warning on any of these episodes. No. If you, you know, you know, you know, you know, you burn. Mike, anything about this, uh, this half? I got, uh, (laughs) I got Mountain Dew hiccup. Oh, um, for me, this was my favorite episode of the season. Um, I thought it was really strong. It, It felt like. It was impactful throughout the entire episode. Like, all 40-something minutes that it was, it felt like... I was on the edge of my seat, in, honest, in all honesty. Like, they brought together, like, you know... They brought the all-stars back. They brought the people that they built up that you cared about throughout the season. They all brought them back together um, in order to play off one another. One of my favorite parts was um, when they were on the ship and Baby Yoda starts choking Cara Dune because he sees her as a threat to to the Mandalorian (laughs) or whatever. And then later on you see baby yoda actually doing something for good which is healing karga um and that was after like this giant like firefight um in the dark with these just space pterodactyls it was just insane aliens are way too resistant to blast fire in, in star Wars. i felt like there was the pacing was just so like consistent it just kept you going um i thought deborah chow who directed it john favreau who wrote it did a great job and then like leading up to the end where you know you have you have the party split you have uh quill riding off with baby yoda trying to get to the ship with them like pinned down in the bar it was just it would it just felt so epic like this was the time when that that music that builds up it felt like that was that was when you know it was all kind of coming together. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so this episode was was super cool, and um, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Um, I was glad that you know we we kind of like picked up right where we left off with the next episode and just kind of rode that into uh, a conclusion, which was nice. But um, I thought. Just the pacing and and everything that they did with this episode was just was was why it made it by far my favorite episode of the mm. season. Yeah, there were some really good uh, film techniques, editing techniques, just great. That firefight scene was really good. Um, just the the standoff, you know, at the end with them pinned in the bar 
and all of the stormtroopers, including an entire squad of death troopers, just just there mm. hanging out. It was such a, and I, I I really enjoyed how they they ended it by bringing in Moff Gideon, who is this guy who's just like superimposing, seems to know everything, and you know has been the puppet master behind this you know the whole time. And Cara Dune's reaction is just, who's this guy? And that that was like, I I like that they acknowledged that that's what the audience is going through when Mm -hmm. they see this guy too just like um excuse me hi who are you yeah uh but the the way they introduced him you know coming down uh uh, into a horde of stormtroopers in a tie fighter and just getting out and just the smugness really helped emphasize his power and control to the point where it wasn't Who's this guy and why should we care? It's who's this guy? I want to know more. So. And it was also like, you know, kind of tropey. Like he gave them until sunset to, yeah. <laughs> to turn themselves in or whatever. It's just like, yeah, he, he's this bad guy, but he's also just this, you know, also this generic bad guy that you've seen in a whole bunch of things that is overconfident yep. and not, re, you know, he drops into a problem, not <laughs> seeing the entire problem and knowing who actually, you know, is within there. And, you know, he definitely could have played that off a little bit smarter, but it's, it's a show, and so it was kind of, you know, funny and clever. Yeah. Now, this episode does end with the death of Quill and the capturing of Baby Yoda by uh, Bike Scouts. Mm-hmm. Right. We begin in the next episode with those Bike Scouts in what, to me, is probably one of the funniest interactions in Star Wars history. These bike scouts are sitting around waiting for confirmation to go back into town and they're just waiting on clearance and they're having this discussion about, man, why are we even out here? What is that thing in your sack? Why does the moth want it? I don't know. I don't ask questions. Maybe he wants to eat it. One of the best lines is, Moff Gideon just killed 12 of his own men to make a point. I get that point. Do you get that point? So that was just one of the funniest interactions. I love that scene so much. We cut back to the blown out bar where our heroes uh, are getting a overly explanatory uh, monologue from Moff Gideon about how they don't have any options. I know who you all are. You have until sundown or I'm going to unleash this very powerful cannon which was used in these specific instances to wipe out these many people. So, a very long way to say, you're screwed, I know it, I have the power, make your decision. The Mandalorian, whose name in this scene is revealed to be Din Djarin, says he knows this guy. He was a big wig with the Imperium uh, when the Imperium. I've been playing a little too much 40k. The Imperials, when, w- during, during the purge of Mandalore, and that's how he knows this guy's a, a dangerous big wig. They get on the comms trying to get to Quill. IG-11, who has interrupted the bike scouts and beat the crap out of them, (laughs) has taken Baby Yoda and uh, gets on comms and says, I'm coming to help. Which triggers an amazing firefight between 
the Mando team and the Imperials. Lots of explosions, lots of fighting. The Mandalorian gets a, a significant injury to his head. Looks like he's going to die. IG-11 opens a, a grate into the sewers in the back of the cantina. Everybody leaves except for Din Djarin and IG-11. And IG-11's like, hey, I'm going to heal you. And he's like, nope, don't take off my helmet. And IG-11 goes, it's cool, I'm not alive, so loophole. And this loophole is accepted, he is healed. Oh yeah, there was a flame trooper that was going to barbecue everybody and then Baby Yoda just pyromancered <laughs> all the flame right back at him. And then he took a nap. They escape into the Thank sewers. You. They find the Mandalorian Smith who is taking the armor from the fallen Mandalorians. and So much armor. So much armor. There's like <laughs> There were like 20, at least 20 Mandos Ooh, worth of armor were, there. They were not ready to reveal themselves. No, they were, they were not. Some were said to have gotten off off-world, um, but... Some would say. Some would say. The Smith basically says, I'm sticking around until my job's done. You guys can go that way. She provides a little bit of insight into Mandalorian culture by saying, Kid's a foundling now. You've got one of two options. You can train it to be one of us, which will kill it, so that's not really an option. It's too weak. Or you can return it to its people. They're like, uh, who are its people? Oh, yeah, we fought these guys forever ago. It's a clan of enemy sorcerers called the Jedi. Uh, Din Djarin gets his signet in the form of a mudhorn because they're, they're, they they teamed up against it and they're a clan now. Mm-hmm. They are sent to an underground lava river to escape. The smith stays behind and completely wrecks some stormtroopers. They get to this lava field. They get in a boat. The boat's being controlled by a very disturbing R2 unit with arms and legs. I don't like it. The boat comes uh, to an opening that's being surrounded by stormtroopers. IG-11 elects to sacrifice himself by blowing himself up. There's a, there's a moment between him and the Mandalorian where he finds out that, no, oh, maybe the, oh, not all droids are bad after all. Um, that solves that problem. Moff Gideon is there in his uh, TIE fighter. Grief Karga wants Baby Yoda to do the magic hand thing. Gets a little wave. Doesn't really work. Uh, the Smith had given the Mandalorian a jetpack. Mandalorian uses the jetpack, puts a couple uh, grenades, sticky grenades on TIE Fighter. TIE Fighter blows up. Everybody's real happy. Peace is restored. The Mandalorian goes off to find a clan of enemy sorcerers, theoretically. And that's kind of where we end. Except, nope, we don't end. We see Moff Gideon cut himself out of the wreckage of his TIE Fighter with the Darksaber. Which is, huh, that's a cool looking lightsaber to people who aren't aware. And uh, why do you have that moment for uh, people who do know about it? And that concludes the sort of synopsis of the first season of The Mandalorian. This last episode, guys, what uh, what's on your mind? What do you think? So, so to, to jump on a point that I made earlier, and then I said I would complete the the thought in this episode when when moff gideon lands this might have been at the end of the first episode or the episode i don't remember where it was because they all kind of run together sure he he gets out of his tie fighter with conveniently folding wings for i'm guessing somebody having a tie fighter landing making sense because otherwise it'd be impossible to get out of seen art with ladders but yeah it's, it's not nearly as uh i'm fine with it yeah whatever it's not it's not nearly as uh why nice moff would choose to fly in a unshielded lightly armored spacecraft no idea it must be his ego will protect him nah, it didn't work too well but he gets out and he basically names everybody in there by name like full name and where they're from yeah and when he gets to Cara Dune, he's like Cara Dune of alderaan I'm like oh 
That's why she wants to murder Hobo every Imperial ever. Yeah. She she has a right. My planet kind of died, so y'all y'all are... <laughs> Cara Dune of the asteroid field formerly known as Alderaan. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, ripping rip pepperonis. <laughs> what else? What else? Oh, no, that was it. I just I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I didn't catch it like the first time I watched it, and then the second time I'm like, oh, that's why she changes her mind so quickly. And that also kind of goes into why, you know, she says, I've done some stuff that even the New Republic wouldn't be so happy about. Goes to show you that she probably went a little overboard in her duties as a Republic shock trooper. Mm-hmm. Um, upon finding out about, they probably weren't uh, weren't so weren't so stoked on. I do appreciate that many of the stormtroopers during that firefight were 501st members. That was a really really cool thing. And what's to, the 501st? The 501st is a uh, we've talked about it a little bit before. They are an Imperial, a, a dark side focused uh, costuming group that does a lot of charity work guest appearance they're a costuming group that uh is uh just has done some really amazing work for charities and charitable causes and events for years and years so to see them being rewarded with this sort of recognition to be officially you know put in a star wars property was was really fun I liked how Grief Karga is just taking shots in in the bar when he thinks he's doomed, but he gets I, it. I also I also appreciate that once the tide turns, he does jump. He doesn't take the opportunity to try to like bail and run away. He stays and he fights, um, which I think is a good uh, a good character marker for him. It was sad to see Quill go. Uh, I hope IG Eleven sort of lives on as his uh, no no he IG blows 11 up blows up. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Nothing Never mind. Of, nothing of his remains. I think one blur remained, right? Because there was yeah. three, and mm-hmm. two of them died. So yep. the blur so can live out. The blur can live out his his legacy. <laughs> I just it was an all around great episode. Like I, there's it. It set up where this could go in the future, and we're getting another season in October, and I'm really excited about that. But it also answered a lot of questions. You know, we mm-hmm. brought we brought this. Uh, this section of the story to a close about uh, where, you know, is the child going to be safe and how long is he going to be hunted for? How's he going to fit in Mandalorian armor? How's he going to fit in Mandalorian armor? There's been some adorable fan art uh, of just like a Mando helmet with big green ears sticking out of it. Just, uh, just a lot of fun. I really liked the fight scenes on this one, especially the Smith's fight scene. She takes on like four or five armored stormtroopers who are holding blasters to her head with a hammer and some tongs and just the satisfying crunching noises that were made oh, oh i love it so much she's probably my favorite side character from this series now uh just yeah more the smith please mike what do you got um i was gonna talk about the smith too she was Probably just not even my favorite side character. She was one of my favorite characters nice. in the whole show. And to see her kind of have her moment of glory as well as kind of closing out her story was really cool. And I appreciated that a lot. One thing that I questioned was why IG-11 like didn't just grab the baby and go back to the ship. Why he just kept going and like, went like into... Like he was told to do. <laughs> yeah. That was... That kind of... I didn't expect that. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that it did. And, like, obviously his inclusion in the party, like, made things possible. 
But man, why was that the choice? <laughs> why didn't Why didn't he just do what Quill was unable to do? I I don't know. But um, uh, like you stated earlier, like the intro with the bike with the two like guys carrying around Baby Yoda and the satchel was hilarious. It was Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally who are both great comedians that I really appreciated, and they played off that well without being able to see their face and so adam pally punched baby yoda yeah and now so he's a villain in real life yep well more people know sudeikis hit him i thought it was pally that hit him they both hit him oh okay oh, okay there you go yeah, yeah they're both monsters both monsters right. history's greatest <laughs> monsters also <laughs> history's worst shots I, I saw an interview with pally and he was saying that after the first time he hit baby yoda he hit it too hard and like all the the crew for a gasp, and <laughs> John Favreau had to come over to him and talk to him. Like, hey man, it's, it's just like, a hey movie. Uh, it's, just, it's not real. It just made me wonder, like, why we don't see Baby Yoda being punched. We just see the satchel being punched. So why have Baby Yoda prop in there? It's, it's for the immersion. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just gotta keep it consistent. Uh, um, outside of that, I really liked the last fight scene where he puts on the jetpack and goes after Moff Gideon mm. in the ship. I thought. It was just so messy, and like obviously it was because it was the first time he was on a jetpack. Right. Yeah. But it just kind of brought us back to like stage one Mandalorian in the first few episodes, where mm-hmm. like he loses or he's just like all over the place. Obviously, his flamethrower is terrible, and then yeah. you know, yada yada yada. <laughs> um, we got back to that Mandalorian that we hadn't seen previously. Like he was just he was a real bad you know guy yeah he was killing everybody through the last few episodes and so getting back to like messy mando battles was something i really appreciated uh he had a cool knife moth getting a cool knife at the end i have no idea what it means uh you guys probably might want to say something about it yeah um eventually but it looked cool so um i'm glad he kind of lived to give us a little bit of like suspense going into the next one thinking that you know there is definitely a bad guy out there that can still go after him as opposed to him just kind of being unopposed he's a really he's a really interesting villain because he still has all that pomp uh like as opposed to as opposed to the client who like you know seemed to be clinging on to this old ideal of the empire like stormtroopers are all have dirty armor like moff gideon is still pulling some major imp moves here right. like he's got a, an entire battalion you know shiny armor like he he has power and to, to it's really interesting it's going to be really interesting to see what that power is going into the next episode yeah i'm interested to see yeah. like you know how many how many people are behind him and if they're going to get involved or if it's just him as the face right and we don't really understand who's behind that um i think that's probably the thing that the biggest question for me going into the next season is you know what else behind moth gideon is really at you know pulling towards you know grabbing this this child right I, so. I found it interesting that Moff Gideon's character, just in his background being, he's known as this guy that was part of the Purge of Mandalore, and he had, wields a very Mandalorian weapon, one specific Mandalorian weapon. I, I don't know if Dave, do you know if Dave Filoni wrote this one? Uh, this was John Favreau. John Favreau, okay. Because Dave Filoni has created this character before. Yep. In, in the form of... Um, Hot Callus. Hot Callus. Callus. Callus is rank. 
Uh, he was an ISB guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Agent Agent Callus, Agent Callus. Who? Yeah. Uh, who's the the rebel character Zeb knew as the guy that helped like helped lead the assault and like destruction of his people, the Lasat people, and now uses one of their weapons as his main weapon. So I just thought that was like an interesting uh, mirror, I guess. I think um, it even goes further. Like I think Moff Gideon, like when Din Djarin was like talking about it, the Mandalorian. I think he mentioned that he was with ISB during the purge. Mm-hmm. In in Rebels, when we met Agent Callus, we knew he was the bad guy. We and then he started getting like, oh, we're gonna have to bring an Inquisitor, and all right, we're gonna bring in right. Tarkin, oh, we're gonna bring in Thrawn. So he just kept getting pushed down, down the ladder. And later we found out like, oh, he carries this weapon, um, not to spite Lasat, but to like try to carry on their warrior. Yeah, it's, it's, he a, it's a warrior's, warriors respect. Yeah, and that kind of helped change Zeb's mind on, especially after Agent Callus became Hot Callus, Rebel Agent. I don't think that we're going to see Moff Gideon become a new Fulcrum. No. I don't think he carries that weapon out no, of no, respect. No, 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 no. that's a trophy for him. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I'm a little bit mixed up on my Mando lore right now, and that's it's because of we've got we've got the 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 purge of Mandalore, the siege of Mandalore, which takes place during the Clone Wars, and then we have. The, the Purge of Mandalore, which takes place during the Imperial Timeline, and I haven't... We're, we're going to get the Siege of Mandalore in the upcoming uh, Clone Wars episodes later this month, and it's been a long time since I've watched Rebels and when they um, do some of the Purge stuff. So everything's kind of juggled right now for me, So uh, and with Moff Gideon's introduction, it's kind of like, all right, I need to go back and put these threads together. But essentially this lightsaber that he has it was the lightsaber of the first ever mandalorian to be accepted by the jedi and then afterwards there was a there was a years of kerfuffling between jedi and mandalorian and mm-hmm. them each like kind of claiming it as their own symbol which culminated to the point of mandalorians raiding a jedi temple and getting it back and stealing it as a, a cultural item and it's 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 a, a huge significance to the mandalorians it's a symbol of leadership. It's a symbol of power and strength. So the fact that he has that weapon, it's going to... And I'm sure they're going to go more into this sure. for, for the Mandalorian's sake. Because not everybody who watches The Mandalorian is going to watch Rebels or cartoons or all that stuff. So that's why at the end... I think we watched it together the first time around. And, and I'm just sitting there going, why do you have that? Why do you have that? Where did you get that? <laughs> Think of it as the uh, the shards of Narsil. Remember that that sword, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. It's basically uh, Strider, whose name I can't remember from some Aragorn. I can't remember Aragorn's Son of Arathorn? name. I remembered Strider though. The name went by for three <laughs> seconds. Ranger um, of the North. He carries it, but he's like afraid to put it back together because right. then he has to take responsibility as king. That's what the dark saber is. It's it's like whoever wields this is the 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 leader of the Mandalorian people in mm. the warrior mindset yeah um, like if you can it doesn't actually this, happen all yeah. the time but whoever had it's like look at this thing I have you're you're at the, me. at the very least you're a contender to be Mandalore yeah. okay so speaking speaking of weapons uh, one thing I really 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 enjoyed in this episode is when when they're bunkered down in in the cafe base thing whatever they're in it's probably um, just a cantina they're all cantinas and, and Gideon has this 
team, his, his stormtrooper set up a big old machine gun, yeah, yep. an E-Web blaster, which we've seen in the movies before. Yeah, with the snowtrooper setting it up in Echo Base. Yep, uh, that's a hot topic right there. <laughs> uh, Star Wars. What, what I liked of that scene, the way it was set up and shot, and the um, the prominence, prominence, prominence. That sounds right. Uh, that they they attributed to that weapon was every western yep. where the heroes are are stuck in the saloon and the the Mexican cavalry or the outlaw army or whatever or the uh, imperial Japanese forces that are trying to get rid of the samurai set up a Gatling gun to mow down mow down the occupants of the building and I, just, I thought that was just a fantastic western trope that they mm-hmm. put in there Absolutely. especially because. Gatling guns aren't that accurate. No. And, like, they're not... They're terrifying, sure, for the time, but they're slow. They're not accurate. They're not that scary. They're still scary. They're scary. I've never been on the uh, receiving end of one, so I take that back. They're scary. Um, but you have blasters. Um, you heard it here, folks. explosive bolts, so a little bit more scary. And then on top of that, something I really enjoyed was when the Mandalorian gets a hold of it and starts just picking it up and using it as, a, as his own personal cannon. The sound effects team added the sound of a crank to it every time it shot, so it sounded like a Gatling gun as it fired. I thought that was a really, really cool touch. That's great. Uh, to your point about the the jetpack scene, Mike, mm. I liked this a lot better than some of the other jetpack scenes that we've had. Oh, that's something else that happened in this uh, episode that we didn't talk about at all. We finally get the full flashback of oh, yeah. Din Djarin's mm. youth, uh, where he encounters the Mandalorians. Who are Death Watch? I believe they're Death Watch. Y- yeah, they are Death Watch. That's there's no argument there because they have the symbols for Death Watch. But that's another reason why it's adding like confusion to my Mando timeline. Because I'm like, okay, they're Death Watch, but Death Watch were outlaws, but they weren't outlaws after a certain point. But maybe I'm very confused as to when this happened and what the timeline is. So that's that's not to say it's their fault or bad or anything. I just need to re-up my well, game. I think this this happened during the clone or during the clone wars the well of course it happened during the clone wars but my point is were death watch outlawed by that point because we do see in clone wars death watch was outlawed but then why but then but then why were that why would they have records of din Djarin on mandalore if death watch was not a thing like it's very confusing because they still were a thing yeah, you can you can no. sit, you can outlaw something, but you can still have the thing. Right, but the government <laughs> isn't going to go. Oh, okay, you've taken a you've taken a foundling. Let me note that down. Let me note down in my books that the official archives that the was, terrorist organization is a laundering kid. Exactly, like it that's my that's that's where the confusion's coming in from the me. docs. Um, but uh, but yeah, I really did enjoy the 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 jetpack scene here a lot more. Because the the one the in the first fight and in this flashback, uh, it's that wire work again where people just look like they're going up and then down. Well, for and then it... for this particular jetpack usage, I think that was the point because right. the, the warsmith give, gives it to him and says, "Hey, this thing's not going to listen to you until you learn to use it." Right. And the only time he uses it is to go straight up, and then he uses his grappling hook to move forward. Mm-hmm. Right, but it looks so much better. Yeah, here in this scene than it does in any of the other ones. Because he was just going ones. straight up. Yeah. Well, the other ones were going straight up and down. Yeah, it's, but it looked bad. It did. It looked very <laughs> It looked very slow and bad. I think speed. I think speed is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was and just... And be a cartoon. It was just far more chaotic 
and 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 uh like more it was a quicker pace in this scene than it was in the other ones mm-hmm. so uh yeah any last minute thoughts gentlemen uh it's something i didn't think about until just now which Ooh. you probably should have thought about like the four times i've watched this episode yep is uh his quest is to go find a group of enemy sorcerers correct now do you think that he's going to go try to find the baby yoda home planet or do you think he's going to track down master luke skywalker and his new jedi academy which should be uh, it's probably still a few years from being said no this takes place what 10 years or something after yeah I don't think he would have set up his temple yet, but he'd definitely be gathering students. Well, there was there was a point, there was a long series point in time after uh, Return of the Jedi where he hasn't he hasn't even thought about setting up a temple yet. He was just going around looking for artifacts, and mm. we see that in Battlefront 2's... Uh, I've got too much of the the legends knowledge in my brain. Yeah, in in Battlefront 2's uh, story campaign, there's a mission where you play as Luke, and he's just looking around for artifacts and stuff so i'm not sure exactly where he starts his thing honestly i think it's entirely going to depend on what information he finds because you know he he's starting from zero like there they all he knows he he doesn't he barely knows about the 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 force let alone you know people who wield it like that information is still incredibly restricted and gone so he has to find you know he'll he'll find what he finds so it really depends on where that information where he gets it and where it leads him hell he could end up on on dathomir for all we know being like here take this child it's like oh yeah we're a bunch of witches we'll take him they use magics they don't use, they the use magics they, they don't the start magics. this with me don't the start magics. this they uh, say they use the magics table okay. table flips <laughs> like we go to hogwarts and they say we don't use magic here we, we use the force Oh, it's nice. different. Yeah, but they use magic. Okay, no, no, that's that's the force. No, that's not the force. We use the force, and then it gets all sorts of confusing because it's magics. My brain hurts. Mike, any last minute comments? <laughs> no. Awesome. Well, uh, I think all in all, we can all say Mandalorian. Thumbs up. Yeah. Go watch it if you haven't, but you should, probably shouldn't have listened to any of this. If yeah. You haven't also, <laughs> go rewatch it um, again. And then um, write your fanfics in preparation for season two. Oh boy, why? Oof, oof. Um, I'm with Mike on this. You probably shouldn't listen to this. <laughs> Ian, uh, I already know they're not. So <laughs> all of our four listeners, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hoff Topics, a podcast about Star Wars. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining us for uh, the Mandalorian rewatch, and we'll see you again uh, when season two comes out. I yeah, guess. fun. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to learn more about us, uh, you can go to hothtopicspodcast.com where we have all of these episodes and a number of articles and fun prop builds and a bunch of other really cool and interesting things that John and I have put together. Mostly John. Mostly um, John. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can always tweet at us at the Twitters at Hothpod and email us at Hothpod at gmail.com. I've been Ian. I've been sitting to the right of Mike. And Mike's here as well. To, to, To the right of John. 
Technically, we're sitting in the circle. So. Geometry. All the all the, the clocks. The magic. They go in circles. Uh, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Ba -da -ba -da.